This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Ryder is a chartered financial analyst and also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. It's an open topic day today. What are your questions or concerns? Maybe about the stock market or gas prices, your retirement account, or maybe you're having credit problems. Also today, we'll answer some personal finance emails between your phone calls. You can send us an email to money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Ryder. Hope that you're doing well this morning. Good morning, Kevin. Well, uh, volatility in the stock market has continued. Uh, the concern about uh, how coronavirus is affecting the global economy, but then this uh, week also, the um, the war or the uh, I, I don't know what you call it, but oil the, war. Yes, the oil war. Thank you. Between oil price war. Saudi Arabia and Russia has. Uh, just thrown into the mix. Uh, yeah, yeah, there. That, this is a great preview of, of what's coming up. Um, and this is an open topic, so we're we're stuck with me this whole time. Um, so this weekend, while you know, it was a beautiful day this weekend uh, on, on Saturday, and so um, I decided to go camping. So my wife and I went out to Roosevelt State Park, uh, which was lovely. We did some hiking. We cooked dinner over a fire. Um, you know, we have very 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 warm sleeping bag, so that was fantastic because it was a little chilly at night. Uh, and then came back, and uh, as we're coming back, uh, as I do, I check Twitter, the premier source of financial news uh, in America today, and saw some folks talking about the price of oil. Uh, you know, just quotes from oil traders saying, you know, it's indicating that's opening down, you know, 20, 30 percent. Um, and, and that is. That is a crazy, crazy move. Um, I, having, you know, had my phone off for the past 24 hours, like, I just was searching everything I could find. And so Saudi Arabia has decided uh, that, you know, with the coronavirus, uh, there's been a lot less travel. Uh, and less travel means less use of oil, yet less use of gasoline, less use of jet fuel. Um, and so that means for all the oil being produced, the price gets lower. Uh, Saudi Arabia has decided to make up their budget gap uh, by just pumping more oil. And so the idea is that they'll just pump more oil. They'll gain market share by selling more of the oil at an even lower price. And so if you can imagine, the price of oil dropped about 20% um, over the weekend. So they have to pump a lot more oil just to just to get to where they were before. Um, and it just kind of becomes a cycle. Uh, so I, I don't know exactly what Russia responded with, but I, I think the idea is they wanted to gain market share from, from Russia. So OPEC, you know, they've gone from controlling the price of oil and trying to keep it high for themselves uh, to just free-for-all. They're just trying to flood the market. Uh, so that was the first thing that happened. Um, uh, and, and if you can imagine looking at anything and seeing it's down by 20 or 30%, you might start just taking other things down. Uh, so the market, uh, the U.S. stock market, uh, global stock markets responded very badly to this um, with the S&P 500 looked like it was going to open down about 6 or 7%. Uh, so 
we get into get into work uh, Monday morning, and I'm watching very closely all the trading going on. And seven percent is a magic number in the stock market because that is where the first uh, so-called circuit breaker is. And a circuit breaker; these were put in place. I, um, it's a great article on the Wall Street Journal about this. I'll try to get that to Liz later to post online. But there's a great article on the Wall Street Journal kind of explaining this. They were put into place after the uh, 1987 crash, where uh, the stock market went down. Don't 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 harangue me if I'm wrong about this. Twenty percent in one day. And uh, they decided, you know, clearly we need at some point just to stop and take a break so that people can kind of reassess the situation and see what's going on. You know, we need to have a way for people to kind of cool off about this. Um, and so a 7% down, which just happened a few minutes after the open, uh, we had a 15-minute break. And just all trading ceased. Uh, that was kind of interesting to watch that on the order flow. And then they open it up, open it back up with an auction to see, you know, kind of where the price, what what should everything be trading. They they look at all the orders that have come in, and that fifteen minutes gives everybody a chance to look at their orders, um, look at what's going on, and say, you know, do I really want to sell this? Do I really want to buy this? And kind of get, get a little, be a little more rational about it. And so what happened? It, it took a little while. It took maybe, I forget how long, you know, 15 to 30 minutes after they started opening trading back up before it was really running real smoothly. But I have to say, this is so this is apparently the first time that they have used the circuit breakers since 1997. And this was, uh, by all of my observations, at least a, a fantastic use of them. Um, people took a 15-minute break. Uh, the, the market had been going down. They took a 15-minute break, and it just kind of settled out. Uh, people realized, well, you know, maybe maybe that's enough selling for today. Uh, it bounced around a little more for the day, and it ended up basically, I want I want to say, it's slightly down from from where it had opened. And uh, you know that that's not um, you know. That's not a great thing when the stock market goes down uh, 7% in a single day, but I think the mechanisms in place uh, functioned very well, and it was a it was an orderly, smooth, functioning market from there on. Um, obviously, you know, some, trading in some illiquid things might have been tricky, um, but there was a lot of volume. Uh, a lot of market makers were in there just doing what they're supposed to do. Um, so that was uh, that's what the circuit breaker is, and that is how it uh, performed. So that is, in case you had any questions about that. Uh, so I do remember that you suggested uh, that recently that uh, instead of the points that you look for the percentage. And so when I was listening to yes. the the news this week, I was uh, more interested in, but there were some large percentage drops, and as you said, enough to to trigger this uh, circuit breaker mm-hmm. mechanism. Uh, mm-hmm. Back to the oil is the fact that a lot of oils. Trading is the is futures. Does that play yes. into it? And if you could maybe give us a quick primer again on what a future is. Uh, so futures are basically a contract for a delivery of some product in the future, um, and that product can be you know physical commodity like oil, gold, silver, uh, natural gas, or it can be, excuse me, it can be. Um, 
a, a, a financial commodity. It can be it can be contracts to purchase um, shares, you know, S and P five hundred. So it's it's not nobody actually delivers the S and P five hundred because it's not a real tangible thing. They just deliver the the difference in the in the price. Um, so futures they generally have uh, the standardized futures have a have a date which they are for, um, but they also allow. Um, because it's just a contract for the delivery. You know, say, you know, a barrel of wool is, gosh, I don't know, it's like $30 now. Let's say it's $30. So you can put a contract on 1,000 barrels of oil. So you'd think, okay, that's $30,000. Well, to to buy that contract or sell that contract or to be participating in that contract, you only have to stump up. Um, I'm not sh- Again, I'm not sure what the marginal requirements on that specific contract are, and they can change, especially in times like these. But say you only have to put up 10% of that. So you can control, you know, 1,000 barrels of oil, $30,000 worth of oil by only putting up, you know, $3,000. Um, because, you know, again, it's a contract for delivery. You know, it's kind of like earnest money when you put buy a house. Um, now, if that contract moves against you, if the price of oil changes, you know, if it goes up and you are shorter, or if it goes down when you're trying to buy it, you'll have to put up more money to show that you're still um, show that you can still afford it. Uh, but they're pretty generous. It allows it allows companies to, you know, hedge their exposure. Um, and, you know, airlines are ones who used to do it a lot. They have back credit problems now. Uh, Not as bad as they used to be, actually. Um, You know, refiners might do that. Um, So so that's what the futures are, and that's one reason they can be very volatile, um, just because uh, all of that leverage involved. So if you have a question, you can uh, go ahead and call us now. As we said, open topic show. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Kevin Farrell here along with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. So in the news, uh, American Airlines has extended its waiver for change fees as the coronavirus spread continues. The airline is waiving flight change fees for the remainder of March to give travelers peace of mind, as they say. Uh, The one question that comes to my mind is, do we know, we don't know how severe this is going to be or how long. So when you do a flight change, you have to say, I'm changing my flight from March something to 
I mean, it can't be open ended. Oh, it's got to be another so, time. Yeah. So actually, this and this covers, I believe, all of the major airlines in the United States. I don't know how many international and how many of the smaller players, but uh, Delta, American, and uh, is it is it called United? I always yeah, forget. United so. uh, all have basically the same policy here, and it is it is any f- flight booked within basically booked in the month of March. You have. Uh, you can change it without any change fees up until I think it's like February 28th, 2021. So basically you get a year of flexibility with it. Um, it is just, again, it is just they're waiving the change fees. You know, obviously, if the price of a ticket goes up or, you know, something like that, you don't, you know, that's not that's not covered. But it's it's just to encourage people to go ahead and buy the tickets. Um, and I think, you know, that's once they all kind of did that and kind of beefed that up. Um, you know that was maybe a good sign that the you know ticket prices are pretty low, um, and now they're just offering kind of non-monetary incentives. They want you to be comfortable buying the ticket because I mean here's the thing you know it, they know it would be terrible if you spent you know hundreds of dollars on a ticket and then couldn't take it because of the coronavirus or because of you know maybe there's you know some outbreak somewhere and and I don't think there's really many stipulations on why you change it. I mean they're just looking for you to put your credit card number into their website right now um and you know who knows uh, if they'll extend this for another month um we'll just have to see how it goes with them so i have a flight the next week going to visit some mm-hmm. friends in california right now i have no plans of not going but i'm a little concerned about it but i booked my flight in january so am i out of luck in this um, so I, I think they also have provisions covering certain dates of travel. You know, if you had already booked a ticket and it, it happens to be in these certain dates, I don't remember what those are, but, but I do think that is. And it's a much shorter window. It's, it's like a couple weeks window because they're probably going to just reevaluate that on a rolling basis. Um, but I would say, you know, if, if you whenever you book travel, you, you know, hotels, um, uh uh, airlines, uh, rental cars, etc. You know, you're always offered. Oh, do you want to buy travel insurance? Do you want to buy travel insurance? You are really probably your best line of defense on a lot of these. Is uh, your credit card probably? If you book it on a credit card, you probably have some sort of travel insurance included. Um, also, just be aware, travel insurance doesn't cover a whole lot. Um, I was looking. I was booking a flight last night, and the travel insurance, you know, policy. You know, they're saying, you know, do you want to book? You know, you know, put fifty dollars worth of travel insurance on this or, or whatever it was um, and they had a, a link to a, you know, a special notice about coronavirus and travel insurance and essentially it doesn't cover anything you know it's like okay if you get coronavirus while you're traveling then we will uh, we will cover your flight change fee if you have to come home or stay there an extra two weeks. So it's really pretty, uh, pretty minimal. Um, so, I, you know, it didn't it certainly didn't seem to be worth it in my case when 
I had the credit card company who, if I couldn't get it back from the airline, uh, at least I would have that next line of defense with the credit card company who would uh, probably back me up on that. The other thing I think I remember reading about uh, cancellations and refunds and that sort of thing, it does make a difference, I believe, if you book your flight directly through the air, uh, airline or if you use one of the many third-party sites that, you know, sometimes aggregate costs and that sort of thing that you so you can get the cheapest ticket. So um, I would say, you know, if you're concerned, go to the website of the airline you're flying on, and I'm sure they'll have all the information uh, there. And you might also want to contact, if you use that third party, you know, the the um, mm. whatever I can't think of any of them right off the top yeah. of my head, but there's so many now. But, uh, I, I will say booking it directly with the airline, you have um, – you know, if a problem comes up and you have to call the airline about it and you did not book it through the airline website, then they may not they may not even be able to do anything because, you know, they didn't handle the transaction. They don't have the money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've encountered I haven't encountered that problem for um uh, an airline, but I haven't encountered that problem with a hotel where, you know, I booked it through a third party website, got a great deal on it, got there, realized it wasn't the room that I expected in any normal hotel transaction. I would have said, Hey, I know you've got some rooms available across the hall. You know, can you just put me in there? And they were just like, we literally can't do that. We don't even know how to do that in your circumstance, which is, I mean, it was a little weird and a little restrictive on their part. Uh, but, uh, just kind of goes to show that, you know, it, there, there are some benefits to booking just directly. You know, I would agree with you on that hotel thing, because what happened to me was I booked a hotel through one of those sites. And when I got to the hotel, they said that the room that I had booked was not even available for anyone to ever rent. And so I called the, uh, the third party. Cause that, again, they, the other thing, the thing, thing she said was the details of the transaction were not even available. It was all blacked out because, you know, on their computer yeah. system because of the third party. So I went there. I was on hold forever. And I think eventually they got it worked out. But uh, the hotel also kind of gave me a better room for what that same price was. And that at the time, the manager said, hey, in the future, it might be a better idea to book directly through a hotel. And uh, I think I don't know that you save as much money uh, using the third parties for hotel rooms, maybe as you would for airlines. So I've, uh, you know, and then I think most hotels do have some kind of, you know, rewards program, that kind of thing. So that might be a good idea. This is Liz. And here is my hotel story. I was in San Diego and our my cell phone provider had had a coupon for uh, using hotels.com or whatever. So I had booked my hotel through them, and I get to the hotel, and sh- it, my my husband and I were supposed to have gone, so we booked a king-size bed. And so I get there at 10 o'clock at night and said, oh, all of our king-size beds are gone, but we'll give you two queens, and we'll give you this special air purifier um, no allergy, no pets, no smoking room instead. But what, and I said, fine, whatever, because I was so tired from traveling. But what I should have done is if they were in a bargaining mood, they also charged for parking. I should have said, mm. you know, I'll take, because the husband wasn't with me, so it, you know, I didn't care if I had a king or queen or whatever bed. But I should have said, oh, hey, how about you know, a free parking instead of this whoop-de-doo room because it, if they're bargaining with you, it does not hurt to ask for more than you want. Oh, absolutely. They can always say no, and then you can come down to 
whatever extra they do want to give you. So, Mississippi, if you have ever stayed in a hotel, could you please call in? Did you like it? Was it was it a nice hotel? Did you save money? Um, but that is a good tip. I mean, you know, hotel booking is always very weird to me. Um, when you book an airline ticket, I mean, the second you book it, you can pick your seat. You can specify what snack you want. I mean, everything. But a hotel, I mean, it's just up in the air until they give you a key. I mean, they're always like, hmm, let me find a room for you. Like, what? I bought this room a month ago. Like, surely you have one. Um, so that's always that is always a puzzle, and so I can see how something like that would have happened to, to Liz. Also, in terms of asking for things because they can only say no. I remember years ago there was a story on This American Life where a guy. Anywhere he went to any store, anything, he always asked if there was some kind of discount that he could get. And a lot of times, again, he was told no, but at other times he was getting things that the average person, you know, probably wasn't getting. So if you if you have the stones to be able to do that, I'm a little nervous. So I, you know, I that's even at a flea market or whatever, I get nervous trying to, to negotiate a price. Uh, but that might be something that you want to try. Hey, we've got a caller on the line. So why don't we say good morning to Terry, who's called in from Tupelo. Terry, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Hey, guys. Enjoy the show. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to make a comment. I don't know if this has already been covered, but for people who are actually, we're talking about insurance on flights and things like that, if people who are actually considering flying, even flying to another country or taking a cruise, just remember, you may feel great and your wife may feel great, but if somebody in that contained space test positive for coronavirus, you're going to be in a month of generally hell. Um, you're going you're gonna to have to explain to your boss, because back in Mississippi, people are going to work, that uh, you know, you've got to take off X number of days, and so that's going to hit you financially. You may have to take vacation or personal leave or sick leave during that time, so that's going to eat that up. Uh, just something to consider. It's not always you in your immediate family. It's those around you. And that's where you can certainly get into a situation where you're cooped up in a room or, or at an air base or army base for two weeks or longer. Uh, that's that's a good point, Terry, because I, I, when that story came out about the ship in San Francisco, I was thinking to myself, man, could you imagine having to be locked up in a in your little room on the ship for for two weeks? Uh, mm-hmm. And then the other thing uh, I, that, that, that I think you're alluding to also is once they were released, they didn't just get to go out wherever yeah, they want. They, they again, yeah, they again are through a sort of another another quarantine period. Yeah. And and, and what? Yeah. The, it's the quarantine period that is in there. Um and because quarantine periods, I think they're generally doing for, for two weeks because that covers the amount of time, uh, the kind of the longest amount of time they would expect symptoms to show up. Um, even though that median I've heard is maybe closer to five to eight uh, days. Um, but, yeah, you know, because someone may uh, have coronavirus uh, near you, you may interact with them. They may not even be showing symptoms um, and possibly they're passing it on to you. Uh, so, yeah, they're. There's there's more risk than just like, oh, now I'm going to like miss part of my vacation. Um, that's a very good point. It extends well beyond uh, just that vacation. And, you know, since yeah. it's all in reference to flight insurance, that does not cover. What? They're not going to pay you just yeah. because you had a bad time. 
Well, since this is a financial show, just think about the hit that you and your wife could possibly take as far as lost wages, uh, the kids being out of school. Those types of things are things that you need to consider as well. All right, Terry, we appreciate your call. Good points there. Uh, Just also a reminder, every weekday morning at 11 is our Southern Remedy programs, and uh, you'll get the latest information on the coronavirus from a health standpoint on those shows. Uh, So those are something Mm -hmm. that you want to pay attention to. And also uh, the uh, uh, State Health Department has a good website that has information on it. So we'll let our health care professionals keep us uh, up to date about the, the coronavirus. We talked a little bit about how it affects the economy, but again, for the real medical information, uh, there are some other good sources uh, to to find out the, that information. Uh, here is an email that says, regarding the use of a financial advisor, how much should you be charged to have your money managed? If you want to go with a full-service advisor, what's a reasonable percentage rate that should be charged for the different amounts of funds you have held with them? Also, if you choose to go with a fee-only advisor, how much would a typical consultation cost, and how often do you suggest getting advice from them? So several questions about uh, uh, money management. Uh, yeah, several questions, uh, several terms here. I'll try to tackle these all bits and pieces. Um, regarding using a financial advisor, how much should you be charged to have your money managed by one? So if you're um, g- dealing with a, a human advisor who is managing your money and giving you financial advice, maybe something like uh, like I do as a registered investment advisory um, or possibly you know wealth management department at a bank uh, or one of the larger kind of conglomerate uh, wealth managers uh, independent uh, from the broker-dealer. I have seen prices, I've seen folks charge as much as 3%. I think that's absolutely criminal. Uh, I I think uh, typically a lot of fees are between 1% and 1.5%. I see a lot. I I see some people who charge a good bit less. You often do see breakpoints in that fee at various points. I've seen them at half a million dollars. I've seen them at $5 million. Uh, they could be anywhere. It is always super important, though, just to ask your financial advisor how much they uh, they charge. And you don't necessarily want to make all of this decision based on uh, based on the cost, of course, you know, you know, one one advisor may charge a little more, one advisor may charge a little less. Uh, but if you're more comfortable with the one who charges more, you're more likely to follow their good advice. Um, if if one is charging less but doesn't give you advice on the things you need, then they're not providing any value to you. Um, you know, a lot of folks can manage a portfolio pretty decently. Uh, that's not the difficult part. The difficult part is getting to know the client and getting to know what are their financial needs going to be? How do I anticipate those? How do I save them real money in the real world? Um, You know, I was working with somebody the other day, and, you know, we're developing – you know, plans for, you know, charitable giving that is going to do it in a in a more tax efficient way than, you know, she had anticipated. I'm going to be helping avoid a variety of mistakes uh, that have been made in the portfolio in the past. So, you know, going forward, it's not that it's not that I'm going to, you know, do some magic in the portfolio that's going to add add a lot of money to it. Um, but I'm going to be doing a lot of small things uh, that are, you know, individually going to add substantial value value uh, to her overall uh, financial well-being and overall 
net worth. Um, so again, you know, one percent for assets, uh, one and a, one a quarter with declining as you have more assets is pretty normal. Um, I have seen folks with a flat fee that is getting more and more popular. Um, I have a friend in town who does a flat fee. I've seen them as low as I want to say thirty five hundred dollars, and I've heard of them going above twenty thousand dollars. And again, that just depends on what you know. What value are they actually providing you? Um, you know, if they're charging you five thousand dollars, but you know they don't give you you know any advice on how to save money on your taxes, and that's the main thing you need. That's just not the appropriate advisor for you. Um, and maybe a more expensive one that's going to do better for you and grow your net worth more is going to be more appropriate. Um, if you choose to go with a fee-only advisor, how much should a typical consultation cost, and how often should you go? Uh, go early and often, uh, as they say. Um, how much should a typical consultation cost? I, I, I really, I really don't know. Um, from my experience, you know, we we charge uh, an hourly fee for that sort of thing. If someone's like, I just want a, a checkup, could you have a have a look at my my accounts? Um, what we can accomplish in a meeting like that is going to be a lot more limited than what we can accomplish over a decades-long relationship. Um, and it's going to be an order of magnitude smaller than what we can accomplish over a decades-long relationship. Uh, yeah, we can breeze through things be like, ah, I don't like that fund. Oh, you should consolidate those IRAs. Oh, how's your taxes? Um, you know, do you have any kids? Or, you know, do you plan to leave them any money? How's your house paid? You know, we can run through those things and we can kind of you know give you some quick advice there um and that's fine and for some people that's all they want i would say for a lot of folks that's probably not what they need they need something more comprehensive and ongoing uh, so if you do do this you know kind of consultations i would stick with an advisor that you're comfortable with try out a few advisors the first couple of times uh, but stick with one you're comfortable with and who can get to know you and really provide a lot more value with for the time you spend with them that being said, I mean, I've seen prices for that all over the place. Like I said, we charge on an hourly basis. Um, so, you know, if you only want to pay for the meeting, then you you just get our quick up and down yes and no's. Um, some folks kind of have a plan package fee that may cost a little more. Some people may do, a, you know, a 30-minute consultation for free and give you really great advice um, because they want to, you know, put a little pressure on you and try to get your accounts um, and get you to char- uh, pay more ultimately. Um all of these are just this different way. You know, it, it is not it, it does not cost zero dollars to to do all of the things that we do. Um, so ultimately, I don't know if there's a right price. You just have to figure out what is the value they're actually going to provide for me um, and how much am I willing to pay for all of that value? All right. It is an open topic day and you're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Back with more after this. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, 
and legalterms.mpbonline.org. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Tapp, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Ryder is a chartered financial analyst and also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. According to Yahoo Finance, mortgage rates fell for a second consecutive week in the week ending the 5th of March, marking the fifth week in the red out of seven. The weekly decline saw mortgage rates fall to the lowest level in its almost 50-year history. Compared to this time last year, 30-year fixed rates were down by 112 basis points. So do you think this is a good time to refinance your home loan? Uh, If you were thinking about that, that was in your plan, and you got your mortgage at a reasonably higher rate than yes. Uh, I will always caution with a refinance, you're still going to have origination fees, um, possibly an appraisal fee, things like that. And so, you know, those can add up maybe a couple thousand dollars even, you know, just depending on, you know, uh, where you go. And so look at the size of your loan and see, am I going to recoup that money? Um, You know, if you've paid down your house quite a lot, you don't have a whole lot left, uh, and maybe you're only saving you know, three quarters of a percent or a percent, it's less attractive because you've already got a good rate. Um, is it worth going through all the work and paying, you know, all that extra money to save a little bit, you know, to save a couple dollars in five years? So, um, but what, you know, a couple good reasons to refinance. Uh, if it makes sense, again, this is a very careful evaluation to do a cash out refinance. Maybe you're paying off other debts uh, with that, and that's a fantastically low rate if you want to do that and pay off at 20 percent credit card or something um or you are refinancing uh, to get the payment down. Um, you know, for instance, if you know maybe you've had a change in your situation, you don't make as much money anymore. Uh, you don't want to pay off the whole thing right now, or maybe you can't afford to pay off the whole thing right now. Uh, but you know, your old payment is a bit of a squeeze on your budget. You can refinance and you know, kind of, kind of re-extend it, lower the co- lower the overall cost, and get a better monthly cost just to give you some breathing room in that budget. Because uh, I would never advocate for somebody actually you know, hurting themselves on their budget just to live in the house that they want to live in. Eric is on the line from Greenville. And Eric, you're up next, so go ahead, please. Hi. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Uh, I have a question about whole life insurance uh, policies, if, uh, if they're worth it as an investment tool. Um, no. Thanks for calling. Oh. No. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, whole life insurance... There is uh, one thing guaranteed to happen in your life. They say there's two things, taxes being one of them, but you're going to die at some point. Um, insurance is to protect against kind of unexpected or you know things that are kind of going to be uh, big and you just can't handle it. Um, so you know the insurance policies we often recommend people look at are a term life policy. Uh, you know, particularly if you're a primary breadwinner uh, in your household, you know, have insuring your life. Life and your income that you provide for your family over a certain period of time is going to be important. You're not going to be the primary breadwinner forever. Uh, you're not even going to be earning. You know, you're not even going to be working forever. Uh, so we don't need to insure you over your whole life because we are we are super certain that you're going to die at some point. And so essentially, with whole life, you got to pay the whole cost of it. Uh, whereas with a term life policy, you know, if you're a 25 year old guy, you're in good shape. You know, you're not. That 
that likely to die over the next 10, 20, 30 years. So a term life policy uh, ends up being pretty cheap if you're looking for insurance. Uh, and again, insurance products are insurance, not investments. Um, why they're bad, generally not great as investment products, uh, two reasons. Uh, they often have uh, fairly high fees uh, wrapped up on the inside in there. So it's just you could just do better elsewhere. Um, additionally, because of the structure of the insurance policy, you don't actually get the tax advantages that just investing gets you. Um, so when, when you use it as an is uh, an investment vehicle, uh, then you know the money inside ends up being, you know, part of it is maybe part premium, and part of it is, um, and part of it is you know your return on investment, your earnings, and so when you withdraw from that, you get some combination of of income. Uh, if you were to withdraw from that, you would get some combination of income and premium return. Uh, whereas if you just invested in a regular taxable account, you would have have a preferred rate on that gain there. Um, and then backing up, if you invested uh, into an IRA or a Roth IRA, you would either have, uh, you would either get a tax break on the front end or you could get, um, uh, you could get a kind of a, a tax exemption over the life of, of that investment account. But whole life is really, it is not uh, appropriate as an investment vehicle in my view. Oh. Okay, well, thank you, because our advisor was like trying to get us to do uh, $600 a month, and in 10 years, we could borrow against it, so I just thought that was kind of... Yeah, if you want to do... Here, let me let me see if I can calculate this out real quick. Uh, so, $600 a month um, for 12 months a year for 10 years, that would be just $72,000 saved. I mean, you could put that in an account, you know, put it... You know, if it is something you might want to withdraw from uh, over, you know, this next 10 years or so, then, you know, maybe invest it, you know, somewhat conservatively, um, you know, in a balanced fund. Uh, we talk about that a lot. Uh, and, you know, I'm not, again, I can't predict your returns. One thing about an insurance policy is they can kind of say, oh, we're going to guarantee this rate. We're going to guarantee this return or something. And it's sometimes a decent rate. But, um, you know, while you're taking that market risk, you know, that $72,000 that you're putting away, you know, it could turn into, you know, 100, 120, $130,000, $150,000 over the next 10 years. Um, that money would be all yours, free and clear. You could withdraw it whenever you want. Um, you could just keep adding to it if you didn't need it. Um, what I would look like if, if if you need an ins- if you need an investment product, there are investment accounts. Just open an investment account at Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade and, and put money in there. Uh, you know, if you need help with the investments, call a, a investment advisor or you know work with one of the online you know quote unquote robo advisors. Um, if you need an insurance product. Uh, I would recommend you look more at term life. It's going to be a lot more, a lot cheaper for the premium, and that leaves you with more money left over to invest and spend. Awesome. Yep, there you go. Thank you very much. And I just want to throw in there, I travel to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania a lot, and to buy plane tickets um, that you guys were talking about. Oops, yeah. Um, buy, look at one-way tickets to the same airport instead of round trip. I've, I've saved over $200. Really? Very All interesting. Right. Very All interesting. Right, well, thank- Thanks so much, Eric. Thank you for the call. What would you like to ask our chartered financial analyst? This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. So here's an email that we just got in uh, this morning, and it's a little dense, so I'll try to go slowly so Ryder can kind of comprehend what's going on here. Speak slowly so right. he understands. Uh, writing desks for some advice. I recently, uh, I'm recently getting a divorce which has left me about $32,000 in debt. This includes about $5,000 left on my car. I have about $27,000 in a 403B, $2,000 in PERS, and about another $1,200 in a 401K. Currently back in school, going for another degree, not working, and was wondering if I should cash out my 403B and pay off the debt or file for bankruptcy. Don't own anything, back living with my parents. Should I take the PERS and the other 401K and roll them into a Roth IRA? So lots of, uh, let me let you yeah, look through that again. Hand kind that of a dense email um, Firstly, I will say it does not often make sense to withdraw money from uh, to withdraw money from a retirement account, such as a 403B or a 401K or a traditional IRA to pay off debt. Um, I mean, that debt has to be very high interest because keep in mind, uh, well, actually, so it sounds like you're not making money right now is one of the issues. Um, in, in general, withdrawing from the IRA, that's going to come out at your top tax bracket. Uh, for this person uh, in particular, then it may... It may not be, you know, a huge tax burden to do that. Um, and it sounds like she's saying she can't even service the debt. I will say, you know, filing for bankruptcy, your um, your retirement assets are are much more protected. I, you know, I'm not the legal expert on on how that how that plays out, um, but your retirement assets are are somewhat protected at least in. Um, uh, in in a bankruptcy situation, um, going back to school for another BS degree, currently not working. Okay, yeah, right. Um, so that is tough. I would say it also depends on what the debt is like. You know, is this high interest credit card? Is this a moderate interest um, uh, personal loan? Um, also, you know, first, you know, always give it a go. Try negotiating with the uh, with the lenders. You know, kind of explain your situation. Don't explain to them that you have money in your your retirement accounts because they don't need to know about that. Um, but if you have any assets outside of those. 401ks, I would prefer that paying down uh, the the debt. Um, otherwise, if the debt wasn't particularly high interest, uh, possibly using using smaller withdrawals just to just to keep it paid and keep it current uh, and keep them from coming after you. Um, you do smaller withdrawals, even doing a negotiating with them to get that. Uh, payment lowered, you know, if that means, you know, extending uh, the amount of time you're paying it back, 
just to buy you some time uh, before you know you can work either in the summer or um, or working once you once you graduate with your degree um, because you know again you know these lenders they do want you to repay them um, and if you kind of have the prospect of you know better income in the future and they are willing to kind of you know ride along real slowly with you maybe you make a few small withdrawals to help that out uh, but I would not just say lump sum do it right now um, and but of course some of that does depend on on um, what what those rates are and and, and 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 those investments so but I can I we have an email here so I can okay so yeah uh, that thing too is it, it ends by asking about a financial advisor in, in southwest Mississippi but it's something with a situation that seems to be kind of convoluted as that, uh, probably seeking out uh, a a personal finance advice might be helpful. And where would someone, do you look in the yellow pages? Do you look online? What would be some ways if someone is looking for a financial advisor to try to find some in their area? Um, So the CFP board has a good way to search for ones in your area. Um, there are, uh, there are plenty of advisors who work with folks who are not necessarily super close to them. Uh, you know, your advisor does not have to be down the street from you. Uh, sometimes it's nice if they're that close and y'all are just, you know, that connected and you know each other that well. Um, but you know, it is not unusual to work with an advisor who is in another city. You know, maybe you've moved away. Maybe their firm is in another city. And you know they you know they just have a branch or something something like that. It's not that unusual. Um, Southwest Mississippi, so I'm guessing Macomb, uh, Macomb, that area. Natchez, maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, you know, for instance, you know if you're in Macomb, that's you know that's not a far drive from Jackson, for instance. Uh, not a far drive from New Orleans either. But they have a totally different set of law than uh, in Louisiana. So maybe maybe don't do that. Um, uh, so I always ask people to you know get referrals from folks you know if they have other trusted professionals uh you know if you work with a lawyer or you know um you know a, a lawyer who's done your you know will or who has you know helped you with your divorce yeah you know, they probably know uh if if they're a trusted advisor they probably have other people they can refer you to all righty uh, that's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit mpbonline.org slash money talks. Or listen to the podcast. Just search for Money Talks using your favorite podcasting app. Our show is produced each week by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Lisa Lancaster. So for Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.